Arrive Without Travelling, the podcast for Beatles fans. Welcome to Arrive Without Travelling, the podcast for Beatles fans. I'm Phil Salter, Beatles fan and radio presenter. I'm Steve Bradley, the creator and founder of ArriveWithoutTravelling.com, the website and blog for Beatles fans. So on our first podcast and radio show with Arrive Without Travelling, we're going to be talking about the visit we made to Abbey Road Studios recently. Yeah, it was a, it was great fun, wasn't it? What a great day that was. A treat, a real treat. Um, they announced it a few months ago, didn't they, earlier in the year, and we saw it advertised online and hurriedly applied for tickets. Yeah, it was it was weird, really, because we couldn't get on the same tour, and we didn't know how the tour was going to be. We thought it was sort of like a guided tour, didn't we, at first? So you really sort of wanted to go on your own and just be in the moment. Yeah. Uh, but when we got there, the, I thought there was going to be lots of people hanging around outside, and it really was strange. There wasn't anybody. About 10 people, wasn't there? Yeah, and I think, really, I think that was probably down to the COVID issue, so people were turning up at the time they were expected to. Yes. So, luckily, I got in on the tour with you, and yes. after five minutes, you turned to me and said, I'm glad you're here now, so yes, it was, thank you for that. Yeah, it was great to be able to share it, wasn't it? And we also met up with uh, with Dino, who we know from the, the Facebook community. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll talk about him a little bit later, because yeah. once we started chatting to Dino, it was hard to get us out of the place, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, so um, we arrived at the studios uh, late on a Saturday afternoon, a sunny Saturday afternoon, and um, showed our tickets, and were given our laminated passes on lanyards for access to the studios. At that point, they allowed us to have our photos taken. This was before they covered up the phones, no photos allowed. Yes. So I think it was a guy, I think it was Jack, uh, from memory, one of the Abbey Road staff, who... I mean, they were all so nice, weren't they? Really friendly and very knowledgeable. Yeah, because they spent the whole day taking photographs of tourists on the That's steps of the studios. Doing, yeah. yeah, but they were very very patient and very uh, helpful. Actually, we, one thing to mention before we, we did go in, there was a fantastic mural of George Harrison on the wall. Yes, on the that's wall, right. Because yeah. he had just released the all 50th anniversary of All Things Must Pass. Yeah, so uh, we've got some photographs of that, didn't we, which yeah. I think I shared on it, Facebook. It looked brilliant, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was, was impressive. really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looked like it had been painted on, but it hadn't. It was all done like sort of bits of wallpaper almost laminated yes. onto the onto yeah. the brickwork. It's a shame when they take it off; they should leave that forever. <laughs> well, there'll be another album to promote in a few oh, months' I time. What that will be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we had some photographs on the um, on the steps, and then went into the studio. First time in the building for me. You'd been before, hadn't you? Years been, ago. Yeah, I went to the nineteen eighty. I won't mention this, Steve, because I know it upsets you. But I went to the nineteen eighty three presentation. Uh, where they did the, the film and that that was a, a great thing but totally different to what we yes. saw yeah. but it was amazing 40 years on and it felt familiar you know walking down the the, the corridor into the, the studio obviously it had been refurbed since then yes. but it looked great and it was just I mean it's very plush isn't it you know, as you it walk is. in it's lovely it's very smart yeah. nice uh, blue carpets first time in the building for me though so it was great to finally step inside the building where all the magic happened where all that fantastic music was created all those years ago yeah so we, we started off in Studio 3 in the control room that's right Studio 3 is the smallest of the three studios isn't it they're the numbered um, in descending order of size so uh, yes Studio 3 is the smallest and that's where the, the tour started yeah we hung back a little bit getting our photos taken so we ended up on the back row there were two rows and the front row were actually within uh, touching distance of the mixer yes, we weren't that lucky desk. but uh, yeah. yeah but what a big what a big mixer it was 96 channels that's right amazing wasn't it and um, we had a brief introduction from the the tour guide who sort of welcomed us and uh, told us a bit about what we'd be seeing that day and they played uh, an audio recording for us yeah it was like a montage of, of a few different things wasn't it yes i'm oh, sorry i'd forgotten that yeah, the, yeah before the audio recording there was like a like it was come together wasn't it come together yeah they, they played, played come together yeah. and yeah. They, they showed video clips and photos yeah. of the history of Abbey Road yeah. all the different bands that are recorded there and orchestras and so on I'd forgotten about that that's right yeah then, the, then they said they had a, a treat for us they were going to play something and they played Imagine in surround sound yes we heard it in studio quality it was a stunning mix yes um, I closed my eyes while it was on and it was like 
you were enveloped by the strings. Yeah, yeah. And the whole production and John Lennon's voice was just so pure. And how many times have we heard Imagine? Millions. And we've seen the video so many times because they showed the video on a TV screen, didn't they, above the mixing desk. So we were watching that famous footage of them walking up the driveway at Tittenhurst Park. But um, the, the strings is what struck me. I was really sort of impressed with the strings. They were so warm and so clear on this mix that we heard in the studio compared to what we've heard so many times before. I mean, they had some amazing speakers. And as they showed us afterwards, they had a massive subwoofer as well. Now, people think a subwoofer is just to pound out things. And it's not. It's just to give you that extra bass that isn't there on regular speakers. And it was just glorious. It just put that bottom end on. Yeah. And you, you could actually feel it within you. It was just a fantastic experience. For me, actually, that was the highlight of the, really? the whole tour. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. It was the second highlight. Okay. Well, <laughs> We'll come to the main highlights yes. in a few minutes. But it was great to start, because ultimately it's all about music, isn't it? And it was great that we started the tour listening to some fantastic music in fantastic quality in Abbey Road. As it happens uh, on the whole tour, when I did this thing in 83, it was all about music because it was a film and you heard lots of music in studio too. We only actually heard one other piece yeah. in studio quality on the whole tour, which was at the end, and we'll, we'll talk about that at yes, the end. Yes, yeah. There was music playing as we went around. Yes, but there, was, there was videos you could watch and headphones yeah. you could pick up, but it wasn't studio quality, no. Yeah. But they could perhaps made more of that, couldn't they, and shared more music with us. I guess because we weren't being guided in groups as such, we were free to wander around from studio to studio. It wasn't a set time, so maybe that's the reason why, yeah. otherwise it would have been on a rolling thing. But it was, but it was fantastic yes. to hear that. and a great start to the tour. Yeah. And then we stepped out of the control room into Studio 3 itself, which, as I said before, was the smallest of the three studios. And it's um, not that big, you know, very, very cosy. Yeah, it's double height ceiling, isn't it? It's like a two-storey height room, but it's it's not a huge space at all. It would be, I guess, you could fit a band in there, couldn't you? A five-piece band, drum kit, keyboards, a couple of guitars. Oh, easily, yeah. There wouldn't be much more room around that, though, would no. there? Than, than I mean, I that. guess they'd probably use that for maybe small orchestral quartets and, you know, strings, things like that, and maybe jazz groups. and Vocals, primarily, because yeah. there's, there's two vocal booths, and they, yeah. they use the vocal booths, um, obviously, for singers. Uh, Amy Winehouse was one of the examples that was mentioned, wasn't it? Yeah, Amy Winehouse and Tony Bennett recorded there uh, on the 23rd of March, 2011. That's, a, you know, that's 10 years ago now. In that tiny room, we saw that tiny sort of vocal booth. Yeah. So intimate. There was only room for a piano and, and one other person in there. Yes. It was yeah. that tiny. And that was her last ever recording session. So it was quite sort of poignant, quite sad to um, to hear that story, but uh, just uh, one of the many examples of, of history that's been made in that studio. So then we wandered round Studio Three. There were some instruments on display, weren't yeah. there? Um, trying to think what there was. There was a Rhodes, Rhodes electric piano. Yeah, there was. There was. Also, this is the problem when you can't when you couldn't take pictures. You, yeah. you've got to try and remember. There was a drum yeah. kit as well. I think it was a Ludwig drum kit setup, yeah. wasn't it? There, and there were some some sort of banners on the wall, weren't there? With spelling mistakes, I spotted. Yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, a couple of spelling mistakes. What was the information on them? Just like the history of the history about of, studio or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and various things are telling you about the the control rooms and, yes. and different things that have happened in there. I'm sure you you thrilled the staff when you pointed out the spelling mistake. Yeah, he said, "Don't tell me." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we found another one, didn't we? A studio one as well later on. They should hire us as proofreaders, shouldn't they? Yeah, it was quite strange that, but I mean, it was it was beautifully set up. You know, with lots of information, and as you said, there were lots of videos you could watch, yeah, and yeah. With, with headphones, and really nice sound on all of them. Uh, one of the videos that we saw in Studio Three was uh, the original 1931 very first recording of Sir Edward Elgar conducting the, uh, the Pomp and Circumstance, which is well known to everybody at the, from the last night of the proms now. Yeah, that was to celebrate the opening of the studio, wasn't it? Yeah. And the, the event we went to was to celebrate the 90th anniversary of the studio. Yeah. It was quite impressive. Did you listen to the, Did you listen to it as well? Um, or, I don't remember if I did. Sure. I, I put the headphones on to listen to that. I was quite surprised at the quality. Because right. you're talking 90 years ago. Yes. Yes, it was mono, but it, it, it had depth. And it was really, really interesting to hear that. 
and you know how the orchestra all stood up to applaud him as he came in, all in evening dress. Yeah, yeah. It was all very formal in those days. It's great that it was filmed as well. Absolutely, yeah. It's a sort of time capsule of, uh, of what happened. Different groups that have appeared in that room. Yes, I think um, Pink Floyd recorded Dark Side of the Moon in Studio 3. So, yes, it was the main studio for Dark, Dark Side, Side of, of the, the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon, OK. That's, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing he wasn't quite as plush in those days. It's, uh, you know, you, do, you see pictures of Floyd sitting around. Yeah. And, you know, you imagine, I've always imagined groups recording their albums sort of standing up and playing like you see in the show, in, in, in concert. And it's not like that at all, is it? You see pictures of the Beatles over the years and... Uh, they're coming in this sort of the casual clothes and they're just sitting around. Yeah, often they're sitting down to play because they're yeah. there for hours on end, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's staggering to think that the albums of that magnitude have been recorded in that little room. The yep. history, if those, as they say, if those walls could talk. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a big fan of Dark Side. I love that album. I'm quite a Pink Floyd fan. It's a brilliant album. So great to be there and see where it started. And then we moved on to Studio Two next. Um, we arrived there firstly in the control room where George Martin had spent all those hundreds of hours looking out the window down into the studio to, uh, to check on the boys. And the control room had been extended since those days and doubled in size, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we were the only two people in there because everybody else had moved on, but we, yeah. we stayed... We lagged back at the back of the tour, didn't we, and you, took our time. And we chatted to the guys in there who were happy to talk. Yeah, yeah. They were actually working, weren't they? they were, yeah, they were they, engineers, they were, weren't they? Even though this was Saturday evening, around about half past six. Yeah. They, they were still busy. And then we came out of the control room to the top of the staircase... Well, yeah. I mean, we looked out the window first, didn't we? Yes, and we saw that. Right. We saw that view, and it was, it was like we'd been there a million times before. Yeah. Even though we'd never been there before. Yeah. That, that was a really strange experience. All the photographs we've seen, yeah. taken from the control room, looking down to the studio, and the videos we've seen. Um, it was very familiar to us, wasn't it? Straight away. It was. And then we we actually stepped out and stood at the top of the stairs. Yeah. And looked down, and we both had a moment, didn't we? Yeah, we just sort of have a very tender moment together, didn't we, Phil? <laughs> Maybe not But, that. We, but we, we, we saved that moment, didn't we? We just stood at the top of the stairs and took in the view of the studio and looking down the steps, and it was a magical feeling for Beatles fans. It was a special moment, wasn't that it? That was probably the highlight. That was yeah. probably the highlight, because it, it, just everything flooded at you at that point. Yes, yeah. You know, you, you saw everything, and you could imagine the Beatles sitting down there, having a cup of tea, having a cigarette, yep. recording things, discussing tracks... Being called from the control room. Yes, I'm going up and down those stairs well, yeah, it many times. Way, wasn't it? We it didn't was, count it, how many steps there were. There I must have been about 18. 20. Is it 18? I think it's 18. I didn't mention it in the blog. I'm sure it's 18. But the number of times that the Beatles and George Martin were up and down those steps to discuss and develop ideas for tracks and then go up to the control room to hear them and so on. Yeah. It's quite strange. I said to one of the guys there, it's quite strange the distance between the control room and the studio itself because, you know, yes, they've got talk back and they could yeah. speak to each other, but there was no physical connection. You feel maybe they needed that. I don't know. Yeah. Obviously they didn't because of what happened. Yeah, but as I said before, George Martin spent a lot of time on the studio floor as well, didn't he? He would come down and discuss arrangements with the, with the song. And maybe they felt because there was nobody else there, just them, that they didn't feel maybe as inhibited. So maybe they were able to give bigger and better performances. Yeah. But it was, it was a moment, standing at the top great. of the stairs. It was great. It was lovely. And we, then we came downstairs onto the studio floor, and there was a, a route marked out around the studio, wasn't there? Like a, a guided walking route where we could uh, wander around and have a look at all the equipment that was on display. You got a bit excited because you found the cupboard under the stairs. The famous cupboard under the stairs, also known as Ringo's Cupboard. Yeah. Where they keep all the uh, percussion instruments. Yeah, like, they wouldn't let us open it, though, would they? No, we weren't allowed <laughs> to look inside, unfortunately, but it would have been nice to get a souvenir, wouldn't it? But there yeah. was well, various, just a look at it. Various uh, percussion instruments are stored in there, which Ringo would... Uh, 
Bring, I think all in, of them did, didn't Yeah, all of them really, would, yeah. would grab and uh, incorporate into the recordings. We spent quite a lot of time walking around because there were so many different tape recorders to look at and consoles to look at yeah. and instruments to look at. There was a, a mock setup of the Beatles with the guitars and the drums. Yeah, that's right, in, in their corner. Where they... And a cup of tea. Yeah, the teacup yeah. on the speaker, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the pianos with a, a cigarette burn on, courtesy of Paul and John. Yes, original Beatles cigarette burns on the piano. Yeah, you reckon it was Paul's because it was on the left-hand side of the piano. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> and there was the Mrs Mills piano, wasn't there? Yeah, well, they called yeah, call it the Mrs Mills piano, and the, that was the one that Paul played Lady Madonna on, Yes, that's he? right. I think it featured on, on a few other recordings as well. And it was from about 1910, was it, I think? Um, I don't know. I didn't notice that. Something like that. It was It was old when they used it. Yeah, and then as you sort of walk around that corner, there was a big door there with a, with a guy standing there and guiding you in to uh, the famous Abbey Road Echo Chamber. That's right. It was through the big double doors at the end. Yeah. We went through there and then turned right into the Echo Chamber. Yeah, when I walked we? in at first, I thought this was it. So I'm going, hello! <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> yeah, and then we, we went through that little room into yeah. the Echo Chamber itself, which originally had been a, an air raid shelter. That's right. For studio yeah. staff during the war. It was a bit claustrophobic compared to the um, Studio 2 that we'd just been in, which was so big. Yeah, but it was also lifeless. It, you know, it was concrete floor and tile walls. walls. Yeah, yeah. And, and these massive pillars, which actually could be moved around to change the, the echo within yeah. the room. They're like uh, concrete pipes, about six feet tall, weren't they? And they could be, they're not fitted to the floor, so you could manoeuvre them and uh, position yeah. them around the room to change the way that the sound bounces around the, around the yeah, room. Yeah, I think one of the guys actually demonstrated that yes. for us, didn't he? Yeah. He moved them around a little bit. But it was funny, it was, it was very white, White walls and white pipes and bare concrete floor. It was quite quite dull and quite oppressive, I think. Quite a low ceiling. And in contrast to the, the, the wooden flooring in the studio and the rugs and the furniture and the big open space of Studio 2, it's quite a contrast, wasn't it? And also no windows. It was, it was an enclosed room. So the only connection between the control room and that room would have been via the headphones. So that they'd have talk back and talk to each other. So getting in the zone to sing something like A Day in the Life must have taken quite a bit. Yeah, it was, I suppose it was a great track, and they knew it was a great track, and uh, John did a great vocal in there, didn't he? Yeah, and music playing, because there were lots of speakers just above the, the door of going into that uh, echo chamber, so I remember hearing music by The Hollies, right. uh, music by Kate Bush. Cliff Richards recorded there. Yeah. Scylla, I, th- I think, recorded there. Yeah, of course. So, you know, all these famous songs that we've known and loved over the years were recorded there. And you then made a comment about the floor. Which I hadn't really spotted. Oh yes, it was quite worn, wasn't it? Because it's obviously had people walking on it for ninety years, yeah. and it's uh, it had a sort of a, a jaded and faded charm to it. I thought you'd think a big expensive recording studio would have beautifully gleaming polished floors, but it's just been left to to sort of fade, hasn't it? And and age. It hadn't been polished or restored or repaired or anything. It was a, yeah. bit, a bit jaded, but I thought that gave it a nice sort of charm, and it was. Um, uh, authentic, wasn't it? Well, this, this was the nice thing about going around with with somebody else because you spotted that and I hadn't. Yeah, uh, and pointing little things out, which which really made it quite interesting. I mean, yeah. we we hung around in studio two for quite a long we were time there for ages, we? weren't we? Yeah, we, I think I think our tour had finished and gone home for dinner, hadn't they? And we, were just, <laughs> we were still lingering around in studio two, and yeah. there was quite a lot of equipment on display, wasn't there? There was the um, tape recorder that they'd recorded Sgt Pepper on the the uh, the eight track machine. Uh, there was 16-track machines in there. There was all kinds of stuff. If you read the notes attached to all these, uh, a lot of these machines are still being used now. Yes. Um, and lots of them were built specially for Abbey Road, which I found quite fascinating as well. Some of them they built themselves. Other times they got the manufacturers to build something to their particular specifications. Yeah. 
And bands who are recording there now and singers and artists, they want that the old equipment, they want the vintage equipment, don't they? They want the, the magic that's been used by the Beatles and Pink Floyd on, on their recordings, and you can understand that. Yeah, there was a whole lineup, wasn't there, of microphones showing all the yes. different microphones that have been used over the years, from the talkback mic that uh, George Martin would speak to the Beatles from the control room down to the studio, to the mic, uh, the old-fashioned, I don't know how you describe it, there's a photo on the blog, uh, the old-fashioned sort of crooner's mic that Frank yes. Sinatra used to hold, Um, And then the more modern mics, and uh, what they did say was that uh, some of these mics were what called omnidirectional, so you would only get a sound out of them if you spoke into them from a particular angle. Right. Now, you've seen pictures of the Beatles standing either side of a mic, so they actually developed these mics to have them not omnidirectional, so they could be used from both sides, And, and that's the way John and Paul sang and did their vocals together. So another development because of the Beatles. Yeah, I'm just reading to the, the list as well now. There was the a stereo tape recording deck that was used throughout the 60s um, for Please Please Me In With The Beatles, for example. Uh, just incredible to see all these big boxes of equipment that were part of the story. There was an eight-track tape recorder, uh, which was used by the Beatles in Abbey Road. George Harrison liked it so much he bought one himself for Friar Park. Going back to the microphones, there was one from the 1930s which John used for Year Blues to get that sort of vintage sound. And there's also a mixing desk from 1958, which John used because it could distort the guitars on Revolution. For the sort of deliberate distortion. We were very privileged, weren't we, to have a walk around here. I mean, we both said we'd love to see it actually being used and a recording taking place. But we, you could feel the history. You really... Yes. I've never been one to, to sort of feel that before anywhere. Right. But I was aware of what had gone on in that building. Yeah. And it was staggering. Yeah, I think any Beatles fan would know what we mean, and they would get that, wouldn't they? If, if you weren't a fan of the music, then it would just be a big room, wouldn't it? But it wasn't just about the Beatles, was it, on the day? It was about Pink Floyd and Kate Bush and yeah. Oasis yeah. and the Hollies, uh, Cliff Richard. Uh, even, you know, the Goons recorded there, didn't they? Yes, yeah. Um, so many famous people. We, we haven't mentioned half the people that have yeah. recorded there. Well, it's a who's who of rock and roll, isn't it? And then there were these sort of big movable walls almost, Yes, that's they? right, the, the hinged acoustic screens, which were folded flat against the wall, but they can rotate out 90 degrees to be at a right angle to the wall to sort of break the studio space up and give some separation between different performers or different re- uh, recording artists. Yeah, and they're on wheels, so they could be moved anywhere yeah. within the studio. Yeah, they could be rotated out on the wheels, and they have windows in them, don't they? So if you're playing bass in one section of the studio, you can see the guy on guitar in the next part of the studio and so on. Yeah, and they they originally they had these like sleeping bags there to uh, absorb sound. These long sleeping bag things, yeah. which were originally filled with naturally humidifying seaweed, until they realised they were a fire hazard. <laughs> yes, and they, they used something more Just modern. Something else. Yeah, yeah, and they're all sort of hanging down from the ceiling. And we've seen them on photographs of the Beatles in the studio. You can see them there, can't you, in the background, hanging down on the walls to uh, absorb the sound. One interesting thing that we asked before we went in, we said, were most of the people that came to this exhibition Beatles fans? And they said, no, it wasn't necessarily all Beatles fans. Yes, there were a lot of Beatles fans. Yeah. But again, a lot of Floyd fans. I think a lot of Pink yes. Floyd fans were, were very involved and wanted yeah. to come and see this. And a lot of people in the in the industry, a lot of people that work in other studios or have worked in the recording industry were uh, keen to get behind the scenes at Abbey Road like we did. I think due to the circumstances of COVID, they could probably have fitted more people in uh, over the week, you know, because it was... There weren't that many people from abroad, I don't think. Of so course, yeah. People from America couldn't come when they'd want to. Yes, there, there were limit. It was, I think everyone that was there was British when we were there, weren't they? I think, I think in the main. Didn't what, hear many foreign accents or. 
One of the one of the strange things they said as well was they had to book this fifteen months ago. They actually had to book their own studio. Yes, at a time when yeah. giving enough enough notice so artists wouldn't come along and, and try and book it as well. Because they are they are a working studio. Of course, and as much yeah. as you'd like to go in and have a look at Abbey Road, it's a working studio. Yeah. And, it, it, and we only saw the studios. They've also got a mastering suite. They've also got they, they do disc cutting in there. Uh, a lot of records have been mastered now from Abbey Road, all cut there. Uh, I would have liked to see that. It was a shame we never got to see that. That would be good to get the full tour of every every part of the building, wouldn't it? And we went on a Saturday, so we probably missed... We didn't see anybody famous, did we? Well, no, Apart from we, each other. It was closed as a studio, wasn't it? So there, was, there wasn't going to be anyone, any recording artists there that day anyway. Well, no, but the, but the you know the, the mastering suites may have been used and some of the mastering engineers oh, that, that, that we know. We didn't see Giles Martin. I thought he might have been around because right. he's got his own office there, they yeah. told us. And, and Niall Rogers is, is the head of uh, music, I think, at Abbey Road. He's the head of something. Yeah, I'm they've given sure him some, some job or some title, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. We didn't see him. No, sadly not. So that was Studio Two. Was that where we met Dino in Studio Two? Yeah, we met Dino in Studio Two, didn't we? And uh, yeah. So do you want to tell people who Dino is? Because you'd never met him before, had you? No, I hadn't met him before, but we've um, spoken on Facebook, and he's a mad keen Paul McCartney fan and Beatles fan. So it was good to have someone else to sort of uh, share our observations with and uh, our enthusiasm for it. And he told us some great stories, didn't he? I mean, yeah. we'll have to get Dino on the blog at one point because <laughs> yes. he, he told us some fantastic Paul McCartney stories and yeah, Paul Linda stories. Stalking. He's I a think. bit of a stalker, yeah. Stalking, isn't he? I think, yeah. is the word. He <laughs> chases him and follows him all over the place. But uh, yeah, he was, he was a lovely guy, and it was great to have yeah. another friend to, to meet and, uh, and share it with. That was good. So that was Studio Two. Eventually, we dragged ourselves out of there and went into into studio studio one yes wow that was big wasn't it well they told us it's the biggest recording studio in the world and it was the the first purpose-built recording studio in the world so a lot of a lot of history there going back to the Elgar thing that we mentioned earlier and it was set up as though for an orchestra recording wasn't it with an orchestra and, and, uh, and, a and a choir yeah so they said an 80-piece orchestra 60-piece choir yeah I think, didn't so they? you could have 140 performers in there yeah it just gives you some indication of the size doesn't it and we both got up on the conductor's podium of course didn't we, we did and pretended to conduct uh, the imaginary orchestra we did. my brother's a, actually is a conductor all right music. he's he's a musician uh, and i really felt he'd, he'd have loved to stand there and just wave his arms about i tell him he just stands there and waves his arms about a bit <laughs> but it, it was that had a, a great feeling as well didn't it yeah and of course there's beatles history in there yes the orchestra for Day in the Life was recorded there, yes. I think. Yes, um, All You Need Is Love was recorded there with the uh, small orchestra and the, the TV setup for the Our World broadcast. And I think Paul's Beautiful Night was recorded in yeah, there Yeah, he's as done well. some solo tracks there, hasn't he, as yeah. well? And um, the main sort of stocking trade for Studio One nowadays is film soundtracks. And there were some film posters on display. Do you remember in the, on the seating where the choir would go, they had film posters there of various soundtracks that have been made, like Harry Potter, Star Wars, James Bond... Um, Marvel films. There's been loads of film soundtracks recorded there. I think it's the go-to studio, isn't it, for uh, big blockbusters? Which is a great reputation for them to have built up over the years. Of course, there was all the instruments for the orchestra, wasn't there? And the chairs set out where the the violins would be over here and the the percussionists would be over there and so on. So that was all set up. Um, Yeah, and I mean, all the microphones that were all over the place. There was. I I didn't count how many microphones there were, but it, it was, it was an amazing, amazing feeling to be in that room. Again, history taking place in there. Yeah all the soundtracks that have been recorded. It was quite funny, one of the engineers said to us that uh, they spent hours recording a particular piece for one of the films, editing it and making it absolutely perfect. And then when they got to see it in the film, it was like a 10-second bit yes. and, and there was dialogue over it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but yeah. hey-ho, that's the way it that's goes. That's the nature of movies and music, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. 
So then we ended up in the control room of Studio One for the finale of the day. Just to go back then to so Studio Three and One, the control rooms are at the same level of the studio, aren't they? They're on the same floor. Studio Two was upstairs looking down into the studio. So the Studio One control room was at the end of the studio, at the front of the building, and we looked through the window to see a producer's eye view of what he would see of the orchestra and choir. And there was an engineer in there to do a sort of a Q&A session and a, a little chat about um, Studio One. And then they played as, I'm not sure what they played. Do you remember what It was something as? from Star Wars, yeah. Episode One, Phantom Menace. Something from the soundtrack, which had been recorded in Studio One. And again, that was in surround sound. And then when it finished and he started speaking to us, we realised how dead the sound in that control room was. Because you could hear the studio when the music was playing. You could hear the ambience and all the, the echo. Yes. And he said to us, yeah, it has to be dead in here so that we can hear what's actually going on the yeah, tape yeah. but you realise how dead it sounded it was quite an amazing experience that yeah that, that gave good insight to us of what it's like to, to work in a studio and uh, to have to sort of think that way about the sound being so critical at every stage of the process we tried to make it last a bit longer I remember after they played Imagine I said can we hear that again please and they wouldn't play it again <laughs> <No. for us. laughs> but we, we spent quite a while in Studio One control room didn't we chatting to the engineer and asking questions and he was yeah. very helpful and uh, uh, answered all of our questions and questions from other people in the party so yeah I mean there were, there were a million questions we could have asked it was a real fun day and uh, I hope they repeat it because I would go back down again yeah. maybe not to see it exactly the same I'd like to, to maybe a little bit more hands on because we weren't able to touch anything because of the Covid situation yes which is fair enough, but yeah. yeah, maybe they don't want us twiddling with the knobs of 50-year-old tape recorders that they still use. Yeah, they couldn't allow people to touch the vintage equipment, could they? But um, we should mention again the staff. They were fantastic, weren't they? Everyone we dealt with on the day was very patient, very accommodating, very polite, very friendly, very welcoming, and it was uh, it added and enhanced the visit, I think. Well, a couple of the staff said they actually didn't work at Abbey Road. They, ju- they were just agency staff, yeah. and they said they would have paid to do the job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they couldn't believe they were being paid to be in Abbey Road. Next time they do something like this, we'll, we'll apply, shall we? We'll that's get, we'll a, get, we'll get a part-time idea. job and we'll go and yeah. be a tour guide at Abbey Road for a week. Then we'll get to have a look in the cupboard under the stairs. So uh, that sort of took us out of the building. We, we, were, we were led out over a fake zebra crossing <laughs> that's painted onto the floor yes. on, on the exit of Abbey Road. Uh, I, I think I found that we went out the tradesman's entrance somehow. I don't think you normally go out that yeah, way. Yeah, we came out, obviously, a different exit to where yeah. we would come in at the main doors over the steps, didn't we? And we came out back into the, the sunny uh, evening of uh, St John's Wood. Uh, having more, completed the tour. And some more photos, because inside Abbey Road's uh, car park, there was a, another George Harrison mural of just the garden, so we could sort of sit there and have our picture taken yeah. against an All Things Must Pass mural. Mural display, yeah. Yeah. So that, and that, that was the end of the tour? Well, we did a little. Uh, we did a couple of things. Uh, we wandered down uh, Abbey Road, didn't we? Because you wanted to see the synagogue where uh, Brian Epstein had had his memorial service yes. in 1967. Yes, that's just... Um, Number 33 Abbey Road, and the studio's are number three, so it's just a little bit further up the road, isn't it? And you also took me to see Paul McCartney's house, which I'd never seen before. Oh, Cavendish Avenue. Yeah, so we yes. wandered there. Yeah. It's a big house, and it's 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 very smart. But it's unassuming, isn't it? It's not a gated mansion as such. It's not got a massive drive and yes. and, and grounds that you can't see anything. You could see the house from the road quite easily. Yeah, well, you can see the, the top of it, can't you? Because yeah. there's, there's a big gate, but you, could, you can get a... a a bit of an insight into what, what the property looks like. And that was the end of the day. That was the end of the occasion. It was very memorable. It was worth the planning and the paying and the travel and organising because I think we both got a lot, a lot out of it and we really enjoyed it and it's uh, an unforgettable experience. We did pop into the Abbey Road shop and I managed to get an Abbey Road 90th anniversary T-shirt. I say 90th, hey, Abbey Road 90th, 90th yes, yeah. 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 And uh, you bought a book as well, I bought I think. a book, yeah, yeah. The book's really good, actually. Yeah. You can get it online. You go and have a look in the Abbey Road shop. I'm sure it's on there. Something I wasn't aware of until this trip was... The, the house next door to Abbey Road is owned by the studios as well. 
and they accommodate people there. People stay there, they're recording artists or staff. If they've got long sessions late into the night, they can stay in the house next door. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm not sure. Is it 24 hours, the studio? Is it open 24 hours? Um, I don't know. I guess it probably would be if there was a big-name artist was recording. They can't sort of kick him out at midnight, can they? Well, I don't know how it works these days. Yeah. The Beatles yeah. used to work uh, all night, didn't they? They used to yeah. record overnight. So anyway, that was the end of the tour, and uh, it was a great experience, wasn't it? It was great, yeah. And uh, if you if you went... Then, uh, if you want to email us and tell us your experiences of it, feel free to do so. Yes, or, or comment on the Facebook page. Absolutely. What's the email address, Steve? Steve at arrivewithouttravelling.com. Excellent. Uh, so, that's this podcast. We hope you'll join us for the next one. And the next one is coming up in, in a couple of weeks' time. And we're going to be discussing the fifth Beatle. Who, Who he was, was the fifth Beatle? He or she or, or she. they? Yes. I think, did we have an it? I we had an it. it. We yeah. did have an it. So intriguing. <laughs> who, who is the fifth Beatle? That's coming up. Also, uh, coming up soon, we're going to have a Beatles Hour, a radio show. So it's all go for arrive without travelling, and we'll see you soon. Arrive without travelling was presented by Steve Bradley and Phil Salter, and was produced by Phil Salter for Northern Air Productions.